So let's bow our heads for a prayer and then jump right into this stuff tonight. Lord, thank you so much that you are our almighty God, that you are a great and awesome God, and that nothing, Lord, is too difficult for you. And Father, tonight we just thank you that you are the rock in our life. You're the stability of our times. You're our fortress. You're our health. You're our crown. You're our glory. Lord, you're the best thing that ever happened to any of us. We thank you, Lord, that we can worship you tonight. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to bless this night. We ask you to open our hearts to respond to the Word of God. Move in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. I I wanted to do this series. This was the series I did for the young people in Colorado. I did it in Myrtle Beach. I did it ten years ago for the singles. And I decided it's something I really, it's been on my heart, I want to share with all of you. So, um, I'd like you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, that's uh, Psalms, Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Maybe you've read it before, maybe you haven't. It has some interesting things to say. I personally believe that unless we see somehow thousands, really hundreds of thousands, but I know most of you can't grasp that, so I'm going to say thousands, of impact players raise up. If you could take that curtain, Brian, and move it that way, it'll deaden the crack there, and I won't be such a bother to them. Then unless we see thousands of men and women raise up across this nation and across the world who are completely committed and sold out to Christ and who possess the qualities that we're going to talk about the next five weeks, I really believe we're going to fall far short of our goal. And to be real honest with you, basically, uh, my whole focus in life is to develop these kind of men and women. Young and old, male or female, anyone who's willing to step up to the plate. Now, of course, the problem is that, to be real honest with you, Very few people are really willing to pay the price that we're going to talk about in the next five weeks. But for those that are, there is a wonderful opportunity that God presents to you and I to make a real significant difference in our world. A very real difference. I'm going to get into in just a moment what an impact player is, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and verse 2, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. This passage in the Bible is an intriguing passage. Because most of us would think to ourselves, I would rather not be at a funeral. I mean, I, you know, I do funerals because, well, it comes with the territory, and you obviously want to be with people in their time of grief and help them. But I'll tell you, some of the funerals I've had to do are the toughest things I've ever had to do in my life. First funeral I ever had to do was a seventh-month-old baby. That was the first one I'd ever done. The parents had been trying to have a baby for seven years, and finally had this little baby. And the mom and dad were at work and got a call. The babysitter had gone into the crib and the baby was dead. <clears throat> but over the last year, 
I've done three funerals. And all three of them uh, were very difficult. I'm going to tell you about two of them and then one that I attended. All of them involved young people. The first one, I got a call one day from some friends in Georgia. They used to go here, and they had since moved. <clears throat> and uh, so I said, well, how are you? They said, well, not very good. I said, I'm sorry. Um, how can I help? Well, I'm calling to see if you'd do our son's funeral. I said, well, I'm very sorry, you know, that you lost your son. And the mother proceeded to tell me, well, they have a son. I did not know him. He did not come here very regularly. He was 19, and all they ever wanted to do was fly airplanes. That's all they ever wanted to do. He's the youngest pilot to ever uh, join the Civil Patrol. Youngest one to get his license. And he went to join the Air Force and, you know, fly and all that kind of stuff. And about three weeks earlier, he was diagnosed with diabetes. Now, diabetes is very treatable. Except you can't fly. You can't fly jets. Anyway, you can fly your own plane. But that wasn't his dream. And so he talked to some other pilots and... Uh, one pilot also had had this happen to him and was trying to comfort him and told him that it was when they were first trying to balance his insulin that there was times he felt like killing himself and he just thought, I just got to stop flying. He turned in his wings. So this young man left a letter and told his mother and father, he said, if I can't spend the rest of my life doing what I really want to do, then my life isn't worth living. And he got on his ninja, which is a motorcycle, bullet bike, some people call them, crotch rocket, other people call them, went down the runway at 120 miles an hour, pulled out a gun out of the saddlebag and blew his brains out. I had to do his funeral. That was not an easy funeral to do. It was a room full of young people, some your, you know, cut and ready future soldiers and some with 25 earrings just from here above. <clears throat> it's a very interesting funeral. So I asked permission of the parents <clears throat> if I was okay. It's always very delicate, you know, to, to warn these young people, uh, you know, that life is worth living and to reach out and get help and et cetera, et cetera. And then not too long ago, this young man was coming to Evergreen and, and he was just beginning to grow in his faith and just beginning to turn his back on his past life, but not quite soon enough. One last shot of heroin, and he found him in an alley, dead. And I had to do his funeral. And then I was recently at a funeral. A young lady who came here, she taught Sunday school with her mother, and <clears throat> I had helped her at one time through some difficult things in her life, and, and she basically almost lost her life from an eating disorder. She got help. She began to grow in her spiritual life, <clears throat> only to be diagnosed three months later with terminal cancer. She was going to Northwestern Bible College and had gone to Uganda to reach out and was just really starting to follow Christ and she died. She's 22. I turned 42 in August. <clears throat> Every year that I turn a new age, an older age, and fast approaching 50, I realize how short life really is. 
Life is really, really short. There's not one of you in this room tonight, not one, I don't care what your age is, that has any guarantee whatsoever that you're going to see the weekend. You don't have that guarantee. You have the guarantee that you're immortal and that you're going to live forever. We all have that guarantee. But you don't have the guarantee that you're even going to see 1999. And the Bible tells us that we need to get a grip. That we need to understand that whether you know Christ or don't know Christ, guess what? We all of us have one thing in common, and you know what that is? We're going to die. Unless, except one major exception, Jesus comes back before that happens. But the bottom line is, you only get one life to live, whether you're saved or lost, and you don't get to go back and do it again. You get one shot at it. I'd like you to turn to um, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. And Isaiah is just a little after Ecclesiastes. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 6. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? This is God speaking, of course, to Isaiah. Cry out, all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows in them. Surely the people are grass. The grass grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. I don't know what your yard is becoming like, but and this is, uh, this is Mark's opinion now, Whatever you do is your own business. I don't believe in watering grass. I don't water grass. I don't care if it dies. I really just don't care. (laughs) I mow it. If the Lord sends rain and it looks pretty, it's okay with me. But I'm going to water the stupid grass. That's how I feel. But, But listen, that's my opinion. I know some of you really like your yards, and that's okay. It's really okay. I'm just expressing my opinion. But my point is that if you haven't watered your grass the last week, your yard probably looks like mine. Mine was lush and plush only a week and a half ago. Maybe two weeks, I should say. Then all of a sudden, it didn't need mowed quite as bit. Now all of a sudden, it's turning some funny colors. <laughs> like the human race. You get a little older, spots start forming on your face. You know? I, I hate to say this. I just It just almost kills me to say this. But I think the next pair of glasses I get is going to have to be bifocals. It's just killing me. In fact, in fact, they wanted me to get them two years ago. I said, forget it. I'm not going down. I'm not going down that road. I will. I rebuke that eye disease. Well, it worked for a little while, but I don't think it's going to keep working. And, then I've been looking in the mirror a lot lately. I don't all come and stare at me afterwards, okay? But, but boy, it sure would be nice to have really white teeth again. If you ever want to know how yellow your teeth really are when you're my age, just put shaving cream on your face, man. It's not a pleasant experience. I have daily reminders that I'm dying. And I don't jest about that. I'm dying. You're dying. And before you know it, boom! Life's going to be over. You know, I see this little guy right out here. I see these two young gals right here. Well, this is my first baby right here. 
18, now off, done with school, looking for work. Same with my son. The other day, I found I was digging through the garage. A friend came over because I missed spring cleanup in Bloomington. So he took it all over to another city where they're cleaning up at his mother's house. So I was digging through the garage. And I've been looking for the letters I wrote my wife 23 years ago and the ones she wrote me. And I found them buried in the garage. almost threw them away. And in the bag was a tape. And on the tape was Celeste talking. I should have brought it to play tonight. But that would have killed her. When she was uh, 15 months old. 15, I remember that like it was yesterday. I remember 20 like it was yesterday. But I can stand here tonight and tell you something. I have given the best years of my life to God. He got them all. 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, and 42. The best years. My youth, my prime, God got it all. Now he gets the wisdom years. I don't have the same energy. I don't have the same physical capabilities, but spiritually I know I'm still growing and I know God will still use me and I plan on that. But I can honestly say to you tonight, God got the best years of my life and He will get all the years of my life. But I want to ask you tonight, until you're willing, as Brent was saying earlier, until you're willing to make a commitment, you'll never be an impact player in the kingdom of God. Never. You know, I look back in my life <clears throat> in, the four, in the 23 years that I've been following Christ and I look back at my family and, and not that I've not made mistakes. I've made mistakes, but I can honestly tell you this. I have no regrets. No regrets whatsoever. I know that I've done the right thing with my kids. I've known that I've worked to do the right thing with my marriage. I know that I've done the right thing with my money. I know that I've done the right thing with my walk with God. I know... That God has my heart. And I know what I want, and I know why I want it, and I know how to go get it. And I want you to ask yourself tonight, do you really understand how brief life really is? Because if you do, then you would live each day to seize it. And if you don't, you don't understand what I'm saying. You know, I live in the reality. <clears throat> I live, you know, there's such a thing as putting yourself in a reality. Have you ever been in a boring situation? Anybody ever been in a boring situation? <laughs> what? Like this, like this class, Mark. <laughs> and it, what did you do in a boring situation to survive? Anybody? Oh, there you go! Say that again. Daydream. Let's say that another way. You went mentally and lived in a different reality than you were physically in, didn't you? That's the Christian life. The Christian life is living in a different reality than you are physically in. It's called the eternal reality. 
And it takes discipline, and it takes faith, and it takes work, and it takes a choice to live in that reality. And I live in that far-off reality. I live every day with the awareness I'm going to heaven. It is a very, very real reality to me. It helps me make spending decisions. It keeps me from temptation. I can honestly say to you that the world has nothing I want except the people on it. That's the honest to God truth. Now, it's because, Mark, you just have so much willpower, you must be just like Jesus. No, I'm not. It's because I put myself in a different reality. Have you ever been going through a really difficult year at work? Okay, maybe you are presently. And the one thing that you're holding on to is in February, I'm taking my annual trip to Mazatlan. I can't wait. And every day, September, October, you just, you're waiting for the snow. You want it to snow so you'll feel even better when you're in the beach and it's 95 degrees. You just want it to snow. And you tell your friends and you take out old pictures and you remember what it's like. And that one week vacation that you get to go sustains you through three months of crap at work. You know what I'm saying? I know people who live for their vacation. They live. They count the days. And it gets them through the muckety-muck. That's the reality of eternity. Now, the way you want to live your life, the way you want to construct your life, is you want to pretend right now that you're 80 years old. And every time I see Billy Graham hobbling up behind a podium, I just remind myself, of what it is that I want to say my life was about when I can barely stand up. And one day that will happen. If some of us stay around together long enough, and I, I think we will, some of you are going to see me in a condition I'm not too excited about. I'm really not. I'm really not looking forward to my face sagging any more than it already is. Every day, I rub Lubriderm lotion right here. So that I can plant the rock and not look too ancient. <laughs> but the inevitable is going to happen. The inevitable is going to happen. You need to decide, I'm 78 years old. I have one year left of my life. What is it that I want to look back on and said that I did? That's the only way to live your life. Seize the day to be extraordinary for God. That's what I want to help you do. I want to help you seize the day to be an impact player for God. I don't want to help you be a nice religious Christian. You go anywhere and be a nice religious Christian. My desire is to see men and women who say, Hey, I want to be a Mark McGuire for God. I want to be a Michael Jordan for God. I want to be a Steffi Graf for God. Got these little 13, 14-year-old girls giving their life to gymnastics since they were three years old. Their parents don't think it's anything. They spend eight hours a day not even living at home, training. And oh, if one gets paralyzed, well, that's just par for the course. The risk, they think, was worth it. I'm challenged every time I see that. An impact player is an individual who has committed themselves to making a difference 
in the world. They carry inside them a determination and an intensity to win, to be the best they can possibly be. They will not settle for mediocrity. They take on personal responsibility to be an example to others, to provide leadership that others can follow. You know, I decided a long time ago, I I really did, I decided 23 years ago, I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to be a leader. I'm going to take people where God wants them to go. I can do it. God can give me the strength to do it. But I'm going to be a leader. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life being a follower. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life being like the world, and I'm not speaking of believers now, being a lemming. I'm watching these, uh, these news programs and I just... Uh, Americans are idiots. Can I be frank with you? I just was. Americans are idiots. They don't know how to think. They believe what they're told. They've lost their cognitive reasoning ability. They're like mindless animals. That's what Jesus said. They're helpless and harassed. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep need a leader. And I decided at 19 years old... I don't just want to be a Christian, Lord. I want to be a great Christian. I don't just want to be a great Christian. I want to be a leader. I want to take people, Lord, where they wouldn't have been able to go on their own. I want to take them, Lord, where you want them to go. Now, of course, to be a great leader, you've got to learn to be a great follower. First things always have to come first. Even to this day, I may be a leader. I'm still a follower of Christ and other godly men that are around me. God chose you to be an impact player for Him. He loves to use weakness, human frailty. He uses failures, sinners, imperfect human beings. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I really want to drive this home to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1. See, the beautiful thing with God is that all of us in this room, we all qualify. See, becoming an impact player for God is not about natural talent because that won't suffice. It's not about leadership abilities. That won't suffice. It's not about personality or charisma or temperament. That won't do. It's not about being highly educated or very articulate. That's not the point. But this is the point. Chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians and verse 20. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, saints, Christians, think of what you were when you were called. I want you to think about it for a moment. Don't ask me. I want you to think about what you were, what you were about, what you were doing, when you came to know Jesus as your Savior. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Was anybody in this room graduate valedictorian of high school or college? Anybody? Raise your hand. Go ahead, raise your hand. Don't be shy. Okay? I got... Raise your hand really high. It's very good. We got two people. We got three people in this room. Just like the Bible. See, the Bible is right. Not many of you were very wise. 
Not many were influential. Are we got any um, politicians in this room here tonight that were mayors of their city or or any really impactful individual, radio host, person? Well, didn't think so. Not many were of noble birth. Anybody here descended from kings? I guess the Bible's right. But God chose the foolish things of the world. How many of you were fools before you came to Christ? I'll admit it. <laughs> wow, the scripture's amazing. God chose the weak things to shame the strong. Anybody in here before they came to Christ could bench 500 pounds? I just wondered. Anybody here do, could do 250 before they came to Christ? Maybe one. I know him. He's over there. We're weak, just like the Lord said we were. He chose the lowly things in the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. You know, my favorite verse is the Berkeley. It says this, God chose the insignificant despised nobodies. That, that was me. When I think back in my life, that was me. We had our own counterculture song, for those of you that are young in this room, by Janice Ian, and it was called Seventeen. You've heard me say this many times. I say it again. I say it to the teens every time I talk to them. But she sang, I learned the truth at seventeen, that love was meant for beauty queens and small-town girls with clear-skinned smiles who married young and then retired. And those of us with ravaged faces, lacking in the social graces, desperately remained at home. And that was me. And I had acne so bad, I didn't even want to go to school in high school. No, nobody wanted much to do with me. I wasn't voted most likely to see in my school. I skipped my whole senior year. Just showed up for the test, took D's. I just wanted out of school. I worked at the Pizza Hut, worked nights construction, had a junky old beater car. I didn't have any future. Why did I read this? Because I just want to make it really clear that you qualify. You qualify to be great for God. You write that down on your paper. I qualify to be used by God. I qualify to make a difference. I qualify to be great for God. You're going to have to believe that. Now, I just, I just stupid enough to believe that at 19. Fortunately, I didn't have a lot of people around me to tell me otherwise. And I've been believing that ever since. And by the grace of God working through me, I've been making a difference in the lives of other people, young and old. And their lives have turned around, many, based on what they heard God say to them through me. I'm just a vessel, just a broken clay pot, but I can honestly say to you, a set-apart clay pot. I may be an ugly one, I'm going to be the fanciest face in the, in the city, but at least I know who owns me and who's filling me. And at least I know what I'm filling the pot with. And my little pot's just set aside. And that's what God's asking you to do. You know, here's a way to understand holiness. A lot of people get afraid of holiness. Holiness is a wonderful thing. Michael Jordan is holy to basketball. Tiger Woods is holy to golf. Mark McGuire is holy to baseball. You know what the word holy means? It means set apart for. Doesn't mean perfect. It means set apart for. All Mark McGuire thinks about is baseball, hitting a, hitting a ball faster, farther, 
harder than anyone else. To be quite frank, he's been willing to do quite a bit to his body to get there. Most athletes are. They're willing to play with pain. They're willing to lift bigger weights. They're willing to take whatever so they can be better at what they're doing. So with that said, I just have one thing that I want to communicate with you tonight because we're short on time. The first place that we must start, after you come to the conclusion that my life is very short and I'm going to make the most of it, I really want you to think about that. I really want you to go home and ask yourself, all right, some of you in this room, I know you. I know your faces. I, I know you've already made this decision. But, but I don't know a lot of you in this room. And some of you I know I've only seen recently. And you've only been coming the last several years. And you may have never been confronted with these things before. But I wanted you to go home this week and ask yourself, do I really understand I could be dead tomorrow? Do I live in that awareness? And do I understand that the only thing we're doing in my life the only way you're going to keep your life, the only way you're going to find life, like Spencer read tonight, is if you live it for the eternal purposes of God. And if you don't, guess what? It's all nothing. It'll all burn. It's all empty. It's all meaningless, 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 says the teacher. All is vanity and a waste of time. And you don't have much time. See, brother and sister, even if you live to be as old as I am, and if I live to be as old as some of the other people in this room tonight, it's all just a breath. It's all just a breath. Get a grip. It's all just a breath. It's just a passing season. It's like the snowflake on your windshield. It looks heavy. It's fallen. And then a froster melts it away. And it's gone. That's your life. Realize that God chose you to be influential for Him. Now, when you make that decision, then this is the first necessary requirement. An impact player burns with desire. They burn with desire. Now I want to ask you this question tonight. What do you really want in life? What do you really want? You know, I hope, uh, I hope Spencer and Lisa don't mind me using them as an example, but I'm going to. And since you work for us, Spencer, you're stuck with it, okay? You can <laughs> hit me later. But I've known Spencer and Lisa for quite a few years. And, and I may have this wrong, so you can correct me later, but, but I'll tell you my observations. I remember when they first started coming and I first met them and, and they were involved in their music career and everything that they were trying to do musically, which is no problem. Everybody's got to have a job. But, but I think it's safe to say God's changed your desires a little bit, hadn't he? Oh, yeah. Whether they know it or not, the day I met them, and found out what they did, I started praying that God would change their desires. And I prayed and because I wanted them. Because I knew that God could take them in a whole new direction and have influence in a whole new way than they would ever have if they had gone the other way. And Boy, I'll tell you, I know what they burn for now. I know what they want. I know what's on their mind. I know what's on Lisa's heart. I know what's on Spencer's heart. They want God to be glorified with their lives. They want God to use them. They want to have an impact on lost people and save people for Christ. 
and are willing to do whatever it takes to get that. I want to ask you, what do you want in your life? What do you really want? What do you think? Here's some ways to understand. What do you think about? What do you find yourself daydreaming about? What do you find yourself giving yourself to? What do you find entices you? Generally, those things reveal to us a little bit of our own soul, a little bit of what we're like inside. It's easy to say, oh, Mark, it's easy to give the spiritual answer. I want God. I, I want God to use me. But, but if we really start evaluating our life, we find out that, well, I know some people, their computer commands their attention. They come home from work, and onto the internet they go. They just love that computer. Well, I know other people just love their job. There's nothing wrong with working hard and enjoying your work. Nothing wrong with that. But I know people who love it. It's their passion. I know other people who, you know, really love their hobbies. They really, they just, they just work, go through the motion. They can't wait to get home and do their hobby. I know others who just simply think about marriage all the time. They just think about the opposite sex all the time, just on their mind all the time. I mean, your thoughts will betray you. I'm not going to read your thoughts, and I'm not going to ask you to share your thoughts. It just all you have to do is ask is, what do I think about a lot? What are you passionate about? What are you driven about? What are you driven about? What do you really want? You know, I think a great example of desire was the NBA Finals this year. The Bulls shouldn't have won. I didn't want them to win. They shouldn't have won. Jazz had a better record. They were better equipped to go to the playoffs. But I give you my opinion. Again, this is my opinion. I think there's only one reason they won. Because one man wanted it. He willed it into being. He demoralized the other team with his extraordinary drive. His name's Michael Jordan. And actually, that's Michael Jordan's greatest asset. It's not his jump shot. It's not his skills. Michael Jordan's greatest asset is that he wants to win worse than anyone who's ever played the game. And he wants it really bad. And he thinks about it, and he works towards it, and he denies the pain that his body's feeling, and he denies his age. There is no way anybody should win six NBA championships. Give me a break. Carl Malone and John Stockton got outwilled. They got outdesired and demoralized, and they gave up. Michael didn't. Evander Holyfield, when he got both his ears bit off, he wanted it. I remember when Buster Douglas fought Mike Tyson. I told friends, Buster Douglas will beat him. All we got to find is a man who wants to beat Mike Tyson bad enough who isn't afraid. I told all my brothers that. Oh, Mark, have you seen Mike? Mike Tyson's the meanest, baddest guy in the whole world. No, he's not. He's everybody's afraid of him. Do you find a guy who can jab and move and jab and move and hit him and wants to win worse than anyone else? He'll win. You know, brother and sister, to be real honest, the Christian life comes down, Christians come down really to two groups of people. Those who really, really want God and those who say they want God but really don't. It's all. It's, there's only two groups of people. Those who say, oh, I really want to grow. I want it more than anything else in my life. I make the commitment to it. I want to win. I want to be God's person. 
and they, of course, really mean it. And they go through trials like anybody else, but they persevere. They don't quit. They go to the next stage, and the next stage, and they do whatever is necessary. No price is too great to pay. And then there are those who, well, you know, they say it because they want to appease their conscience. America is mostly filled with these. American Christianity is mostly filled with this group of people. I'm trying to get more from this group over this group. That's the whole point. I'm trying to get more in this church from this group over to this group. Who won it? I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Just a couple more thoughts here. I I just don't have time to develop all this tonight, so we just look at a couple thoughts here. Acts chapter 20. And verse 24. This is a life verse. If you want to be an impact player, you're going to have to underline this verse and memorize it. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I I consider my life worth nothing to me. You know, to be honest... I see Steve Young's name there. The guy really ought to retire. Why do I say that? Because he didn't have skills? No. He said too many concussions. But you know what? To be real honest with you, football means more to Steve Young than his wife, than his life, than his health. In fact, anybody who plays one of the meanest, baddest sports in the world, football, you watch some of the collisions that go on in the game, It's because it's the most important thing in the world to them. And their body does not mean very much to them, except that it's used for the glory of the game. And that's the Apostle Paul. And Christian, it's high time that we realize that this complacent, apathetic, lethargic Christianity won't do any more than if you tried to try out for the Vikings and Denny Green thought you were a lazy, good-for-nothing, apathetic, complacent player who wouldn't put his life on the line. You would be, I'm sorry, you have to leave training camp. We think for some reason God is different. You know, God just... You know, I can just be lazy and lethargic and complacent and I can just never really get serious, but God will still use me. No, He won't. No, He won't. The reason we don't have more Apostle Pauls is not because God didn't want to raise up thousands of them. It's because we don't want to practice the habits of Paul. (laughs) You can't have the power of Paul without the habits of Paul. You can't have the power of Paul without the perspective of Paul. You can't have the power of Paul without the steps that Paul took. Without the values of Paul. And so he says, My life means nothing if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying the gospel of God's grace. You men in here, I want you to take note of something. You know, I realize probably most of us in the room here, we like sports. We like the the, the challenge of the game. We probably, most of you saw Braveheart and liked it. Let me tell you something. There's never been an athlete in our time like the Apostle Paul. Paul was beaten for his game Three times. The famous 40 lashes minus one. And the reason it was minus one, I've read three history books on the life of the Apostle Paul, is because they believe the fourth would kill you. They would strip you bare and lash you and dig out chunks of flesh from your back. 
He had been stoned. Paul was a walking scar. He didn't go to a plastic surgeon. You know what stones do to you? When a bunch of people, a size of this room, decides to all throw rocks at Mark, you know what it does to your body, to your face? It leaves you a bloody, cut-up mess. He was beaten with rods on his head. They would gather around and bam, 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 bam. Boom, 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 boom. Everybody hitting you on the head. Paul was a man's man. This guy wanted to win. This guy knew one thing. My life isn't important to me. In Philippians, what does he say? I consider all things lost that I might gain Christ. For whose sake I have lost all things. All things. I lost them. Nothing in the world matters to me, Paul is saying. Nothing else matters to me. I don't care what I lose as long as at the end I have Christ. I don't care what I lose. Now I want to ask you that question. This is the first and necessary ingredient if you're going to be an impact player for God. It starts with desire. It starts with a burning desire in your soul. One real quick last verse I want to give to you is in Proverbs 1, 32-33. I just didn't have time to get into all of this tonight. I'm sorry. But Proverbs chapter 1, 32 says, The complacency of fools will kill them. The waywardness of the simple will destroy them. There's one primary thing that frightens me as a pastor and as a man with with desire. And you know what that is? It's complacency. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. There's one personal reason why I started The Rock. Why I want to start The Rock. And you know what that personal reason is? I don't want to get bored and I don't want to get complacent and I need more to press myself to believe God for. It's not going to be easy for me to be in front of a bunch of 20-year-olds. That's not an easy thing for me. In fact, I've been scared to death it might fail. I might fall completely on my face. It may not work! I believe it will. I believe God wants to bless it. And so far He's been working in some amazing ways. But I am scared to death of complacency. And you know what? Let me tell you a little secret. The older that you get physically, the easier it is to sit on your behind and think to yourself, you know, geez, Bark, you're 42. You've helped build a church that only less than 1% of any other churches in the United States are this big. Take it easy. Just shepherd these believers. Just love God. Love your family. Have a few grandchildren. Golf a little. Take up some tennis. And just... Chill out! Don't push yourself so hard. You know, the older I've gotten, the less I've slept, the busier I am. The more there is to do. And I'm going to continue stepping through those doors here, there, around the world because there's a world to reach and I know what I want. And I want to ask you to go home this week and think about what it is you really want. And then if it's not what you know you ought to want, get rid of it and put in its place the desire that says, God, I want you, Jesus, I want you, and I want to win. I want to be a winning Christian. I want to be an impact player. And I don't care what you have to take me through, Lord. Here I am. I'm your girl. I'm your guy. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you tonight for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you paid the ultimate price. Thank you, Lord, that you did not allow complacency to enter into your life. Thank you, Lord, that you wanted one thing, and that was to please your Heavenly Father. And secondly, you wanted us. Your eye was on us, and it did not matter to you that we cost you your life. You won your prize. And you considered it worthwhile. Worth dying for. I want to ask you, Lord, that you work in my brothers and sisters' heart this week. And they would come to the conclusion that you are worth giving up their life for. You are worth giving up their dreams and personal aspirations to embrace the aspirations and dreams that you have for them. As their Heavenly Father. As their Creator. As their Master. As their Savior. Is their greatest fan, the person who loves them more than anyone else in the world. Bless my brother and sister here tonight, Lord. Give them a wonderful week and encourage their soul. Remind them that every day is precious. We may not get another. In Jesus' name, amen.